Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Everything Iconic Pop Dive, where my guests and I will deep dive into iconic pop culture touchstones. I'm Danny Pellegrino, and this week we are deep diving into the Rosie O'Donnell Show. I'm so, so excited, you guys. It's no secret that I love the Rosie O'Donnell Show. I grew up watching it every single day after school, and so much of what I do here on Everything Iconic is influenced by that show. The Rosie O'Donnell Show ran from 1996 to 2002, and it won five Daytime Emmy Awards for Best Talk Show. The show also spawned a series of books, Kids Are Punny. It made a hit out of Koosh Balls, Tickle Me Elmo, Drake Cakes, two Christmas albums. You guys, that's two holiday albums. She had a successful Kmart campaign with Penny Marshall during this time, and so much more. She became known as the Queen of Nice, inspiring millions with her upbeat attitude and admiration of celebrity and pop culture. Following the show, she took a short break before returning to the talk show world with two stints on one of my other favorite shows, The View, (laughs) plus an own talk show, an NBC variety hour, and now she's co-starring on the Showtime show Smilf. I invited comedian, writer, podcast host, and all-around gem of a guy, H. Allen Scott, to talk about the legacy of The Rosie O'Donnell Show, how the show stood out in a sea of trash talk talk shows, and so much more, including clips from the show. I'm so excited to bring him out here. But before I do, I want to get some of our paperwork out of the way. <laughs> I want to thank Samson Technology for sponsoring the show. I want to thank Whitney for producing. And I also want to tell you all to follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, I I'm at Danny Pellegrino, and on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Pellegrino Danny. And while you're over there on Facebook, we also have an Everything Iconic Facebook group, so just search Everything Iconic. And if you are interested in supporting this podcast, please head on over to patreon.com slash Everything Iconic. On patreon.com slash Everything Iconic, you can donate $4 or more per month and get access to all of the Everything Iconic bonus episodes, unedited interviews, Real Houses of New York recaps, and so much more. Plus, you're helping support this podcast. So please head on over to do that. And one more last thing. I'm sorry to be so annoying. If you like this show, please go rate and review it on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen. It really helps us out. So if you like it, take a second to go rate and review it. Okay, without further ado, <laughs> let's bring out H. Allen Scott. Guys, I'm here with H. Allen Scott. How are you? Uh, I'm so excited to be here. You have no idea. Me too. I cannot wait. So we're going to break down the Rosie O'Donnell show. We're going to talk about it, its impact, all of that stuff. First thing, before we really get into the meat and bones, I want to know, what's your 
previous experience with the Rosie O'Donnell show? How did you get into it? Well, I think we should go back and say my experience with Rosie O'Donnell yes. because that's really where it all began. Began. I I didn't really know much about. I knew I saw some of her VH1 stand-up show like in the late '80s, early '90s, and there was a show. I forget the name of it, but there was a television show on Fox. Very brief. It ran for one season with Melissa Gilbert, and she played like like a butch sort of lady and a rich sister. I forget the premise, but their husbands went to jail and it was a whole thing. And I kind of, I watched that sitcom when it got, before it got canceled and then a league of their own and a league of their own. I was like, Oh my God, who is this woman? And I was obsessed with Madonna. So in a lot of ways I have like, Madonna to thank for my obsession with Rosie O'Donnell oh because my, my obsession with Madonna led me to being like, well, if she's Madonna's best friend, she has to be my best she's friend. She's mine too. And and then I became more obsessed with Rosie O'Donnell than I was with Madonna mm-hmm. because Rosie O'Donnell was personifying everything that I was as a fan and as mm-hmm. a person, as a, com- a young comedian at the time. I was you know, a teenager. I was going to be a teenager. And, and so I watched all her movies and stuff and then the Rosie O'Donnell show came and I, I insisted I, and I, I told Rosie O'Donnell, I told Rosie this because you opened for her right well I did in New York we, uh, there was like a comics thing that we did together and then there was a gay men's health crisis thing that we did she wouldn't remember me because she's probably met a million comics in her life but yes I bet she yes. remember well uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and I told her this that I skipped school my mother let my mom let me skip school because the premiere of the Rosie O'Donnell show coincided with like the last day of school or something and so I said I, I you have to call school and say we're going on summer vacation early because I have to see this episode uh, and it came out like, what it was it was, well, it was George Clooney okay the yeah. premiere it was the premiere, premiere the yeah. very first episode and uh, so I watched yeah I skipped school amazing. for that we're yeah. going to be talking about the premiere so I have this DVD that you can only get on the black market <laughs> when I first met you which was on my podcast yes. you're making it worse which you're going to be on yeah. um I we geeked out about this Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> moment, and you had I think you brought up the DVD then, and I got super excited. Yeah, because I have this DVD, and uh, it's basically Rosie watching clips from season it's one the of the Rosie O'Donnell. DVD, right, it's so good. <laughs> it's like it's so good. I love it. it. I bought it off QVC one night, like QVC. QVC of all places, like five or six years ago. I should look at the date. This is sure 2008 on it. Oh, 2008, right? Yeah. So I remember seeing it on QVC. It probably was a promotion for her own show, I think. Oh, for her own. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe. I don't know. Maybe because it looked in that era, that yeah. own era. But so she's watching season one, and it's the best DVD because it reminds you of so much about the show and what it was. And I loved it every day after school. I'd watch it. My grandma mm-hmm. used to watch me. I remember watching with her. Where are you from? Ohio. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I lived in Chicago. I'm a Midwest boy. Yeah. But same. Um, my grandma and I would watch it together. And then my mom, when she wasn't working mm-hmm. and she would be there after school, we'd watch it together. And it was like something that you could connect with with any age person. Yeah, and it didn't. The quality of it didn't uh, go down based off your age. You know, like mm-hmm. the older would love it just as much as me. Yeah, and totally. She, yeah. I mean, it was. I, I was thinking about this in rewatching this DVD of yours. That how much of sort of the relatability that she had as a fan herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was this massive celebrity, you know, who mm-hmm. was best friends with Madonna and like mm-hmm. had access to all these things, but she was just like us. Yes. I mean, you and I were probably a very similar kid in that we geeked out about certain actors and certain movies and franchises and shows. And she was just like that. Like her love of the Mary Tyler Moore show mm-hmm. was my love of the golden girls. Like yeah. it was just obsessive to the point where on the, on the DVD, they do a clip of when Mary Tyler Moore was on Rosie O'Donnell's show mm-hmm. and 
and her and Valerie Harper were quizzing Rosie about facts about the show, yeah. and she was answering them like like uh, she was completing their questions. Yeah, exactly. And she had a notebook that was literally notes yes. from her being in eighth grade, where she was doing detailed notes about the episodes. But look what I have. <laughs> oh my god! I have oh, a little Rosie. This is my little handwriting writing from seventh and eighth grade. Oh, and uh, this is all that like name the blonde waitress who works in the coffee shop downstairs. Oh, that's my best friend. What's her name? Her real name? On the show. On the show. Um, <laughs> just a minute. It was like Blanche or... Kind of starts with an R. Uh, Rosie! No, no. Ends with an E. Ends with an E. Has a T in it. Reblackata. <laughs> Look, Rayette. Rayette! Never, yes, yes Rayette. Played by Beverly Sanders. And played brilliantly. She was. She was yes. great on that. These questions, do they scare you? Do you know that there were people like me sitting around America taking notes? <laughs> Do you have any idea? I think you're the only one, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we loved about Rosie was her love of pop culture. Yeah. And I, you know, harp on this a lot on this show, but there's not another person that's doing that now in the talk show space. And I don't think there's been someone that's done it since. There's been some people that have... I mean, Ellen a little Ellen bit. Ellen a little bit. But I I never see Ellen as a pop culture lover. She's a very funny comedian and she does well, other she's bits. She's a star too. Mm-hmm. I mean, the thing, the difference between Ellen's show and Rosie O'Donnell, people compare those two a lot. And they are comparable because they're both lesbians, they're both comics, they both have daytime talk shows. But... The difference between Ellen and Rosie, I think, is that Rosie was one of us. Yeah. Rosie would constantly talk about her obsession and her fandom and everything, and, and she was behind a desk, and she was geeking out about Tom Cruise and all these people, whereas Ellen DeGeneres feels like a superstar, yeah. feels like a celebrity. And she's talking with friends, where yeah. Rosie was talking to people that she admired. I mean, you could see her cry. She would cry. Yeah. She would get whatever emotion was coming on. When uh, she, the Bette Midler episode, during the Bette Midler interview, I remember watching this, because I loved Bette Midler as well as a kid, and Rosie O'Donnell would talk You're straight, about, right? Uh, <laughs> totally straight. Totally Totally straight. I was going to be like, nah. Real butch conversation. <laughs> no, but she was talking with Bet, and she was she broke down about what Bet had been for her as a mm-hmm. kid and how she kind of replaced her mom after her mom passed and all these, her and, and Barbara Streisand and all these actresses. And, and I kind of had that too because when I was a kid, I related with Rosie so much. I, yeah. my parents separated and I lived with my dad for like a number of years. And then we moved in with my mom when I was like, in 93 or 94, so I was like 10 or 11. And those years without my mom, it was kind of like daytime television, and Rosie wasn't on. It was Oprah and other TV and Golden Girls and all these other sort of icons of television replaced my mom in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And then Rosie came, and she Rosie was never a maternal figure. Right. She was more an inspiration for what I wanted out of a career. Like, yeah. I wanted that as a career. The fact that she was able to take her personality and her comedy, which I always had, and turn it into something where she could geek out on the things that she geeks out on. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the dream career. Totally. And totally. we're kind of doing that's that. That's what I'm, that's yeah. literally like the that's basis what, of my show. Exactly. Like I, I want to have, you know, I had Bonnie Hunt, I talked to you yeah. about that before, and she's like a, a comedy idol of mine, and I recorded like an intro opening, and I tried to keep it cool, but I was getting emotional, you yeah. know? And then... It's hard not to. It's so hard not to, because I am obsessed with pop culture, and if it's someone like that, that I've always loved and admired yeah. and everything. And, you know, I remember talking to my producer. I was like, I don't know how the opening should be. Like, I, I, I want to play it cooler. And then I was like, no, I thought about Rosie O'Donnell literally mm-hmm. in my head. And I thought mm-hmm. when she would have a guest she would love, she would just be honest and earnest. And yeah. she wasn't trying to hide or put on a facade. And it's like, that's just what I, I that's what I aspire to have this show be. I'm able to play it cool. 
Yeah. I can't yeah, play it cool. I am constantly, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm constantly out there talking about and geeking out about the things. And the thing was, as a kid, and I think I got a lot of this from Rosie too, I never was ashamed of it. It was always like the other kids didn't, weren't cool enough to understand mm-hmm. what I understood about TV and film and pop culture. And it, I didn't feel weird about knowing that stuff and being obsessed with Madonna and Rosie O'Donnell and all these people and Gina Davis. Like, I, I was obsessed with all these people, but I, never felt ashamed of it. I just yeah. felt like they didn't get it. That's exactly, I 100% get that. I felt the same way about a lot of the stars. Like I mentioned Rosie and Bonnie and Whoopi Goldberg oh. I was obsessed with. Uh, so the show started in 96 and it was based off the Merv Griffin show. That was the yeah. show she was uh, sort of modeling. This Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas. And Mike Douglas, yes. Yeah. And she was saying in the interviews and on this DVD, she mentions that they didn't want her to be doing this nice show. They didn't think it would work. Yeah. And she really fought hard to make a show that was family friendly. Because at the time, like, when the show came out, the biggest talk shows on the air were, of course, Oprah, but also Jerry Springer, Springer Jenny Jones, Ricky, Ricky Lake. Lake. And they were all about, like, your man slept with my man, and now I'm taking your weave off. Like, it was like an insane WWF-style talk shows yeah. on and television. And then here comes Rosie, who's a girl next door looks-wise. Yeah. And she's doing... She looked like everybody else. Like everyone else. Yeah. And the first uh, shot you see is a cartoon version of her. It's so yeah. colorful, poppy. That music comes in. And the opening sequence was modeled after the nanny's yeah. opening sequence. Another obsession of mine. The nanny. Oh, yeah. my God. Uh, Fran is... Best. I mean, Fran. It's... You have... Oh, <laughs> cancer schmanza. Yes. As a yeah. cancer survivor myself, I relate to cancer schmanza. Yes. Yeah. Oh, she's... A great book. She's amazing. Yeah. Uh, and so the animated opening was inspired by that. And then not only that, but... She she opened with an everyday person. I say an everyday person, but the audience, uh, someone in the audience would introduce yeah. Rosie. Yeah. And then Rosie would come out and she would talk to that person. So yeah. you were literally seeing two people that look like two friends, uh, you know, on your street talking. Mm-hmm. And that's the first imagery that you see. And it really set the tone for the entire show. Yeah. You weren't getting like this big Hollywood show you were mm-hmm. getting. I always felt like it was our way in. Hi, I'm Justin Ward from Parisburg, Virginia, and this is The Rosie O'Donnell Show. On today's show, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Anne Bancroft. Hit it, John! I've been waiting four years to do that. No kidding. June 10th. How old are you, honey? 17. You're 17. 17. So you were just a baby when we went on the air. Just just a baby. Yeah. Just a baby. You want to sing a little more? That was pretty good. Give me a little something. Um, You name it, I'll sing it. Anything you want. In sync. Give me a little in sync. I don't want to see you out that door. Bye, bye, bye. Wow. That's pretty good, Justin. It made it accessible. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, now having sort of worked on television shows and and different talk shows and different things, like 
seeing how sort of the sausage is made, I know a little bit more, I suppose, but I'm still like taken aback looking back on old Rosie clips, how just real she was and how that doesn't exist on television right now. She even said that they didn't want her to talk to a regular person at the beginning. They want just insane to me. I know it's crazy because that's like, that's the cornerstone. I mean, you watch the the Ellen clips that go viral and sure. A lot of them are like celebrities doing weird things or Jimmy Mm -hmm. Fallon making some celebrity like, Jump or something. I don't know. It's like the weirdest things happen. <laughs> but like Channing Tatum just, just jump, 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 just jumping. Jump. But like Rosie took it to a new level in that like she made you feel like you had an eye into sort of you, your geekdom could get you into this world of pop culture and fun and celebrity and talk show and like all of these things. And Rosie is the ultimate outsider. And she even said it on the DVD that people would say that she looked like she would, they would get a lot of people looking like her because she looked like the average American. And then she did an entire show, entire an entire episode where the audience was all people that had written in and said they look like her. We had a lot of people telling me they look like me because I'm the average sized woman in America. I look more like your neighbor than I do like a celebrity. And that's part of the appeal. I was trying to wonder if they costumed the people in the audience yeah. or if they just told them to show up in like a black blazer. And I mean, they probably had to costume, yeah. don't you think? Because yeah, that would have been a lot of like off black. That would have been the, a lot of navy blues. Yeah. <laughs> you know? The whole audience, though, was like looking like Rosie because yeah. everyone looked like her. Everyone Insane. thought they looked like her. I, people say I look like Perez Hilton. And I'm sure Rosie O'Donnell gets a lot of the like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I'm average. But yeah. she took it to a new level and that she used it to her advantage. She celebrated it. Yeah. Wow. Every little piece of her is her celebrating her own self. Yeah. You know, she didn't ever seem to fit into a box. And I mean, I just want to run down the list of some of the people that she really fangirled over. Mm-hmm. You know, Susan Lucci, which who, who she was on yeah. her very first show with George Long Clooney. Long Island Girl. Yeah, George Clooney and Tony Braxton. They were like the first guests. Barbara Streisand, you mentioned Bette Midler, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Like these were people that she just was, a Mary Tyler Moore, obsessed yeah. with. Alec Baldwin. Tommy, can you hear me? One of the things I want to talk about is her desk. Yeah. And this sort of weird product integration into the show, Mm -hmm. which felt so... I, I don't know that anyone's ever done it better where they were able to integrate products in a way that felt celebratory of those yeah. products. I mean, anything from Altoids to Listerine or any the of the Listerine bit was so yeah. funny. Yeah, so let's explain. So there was a, a moment in the first season where was it Scope? It was Scope. Scope had done a poll saying the the least kissable mm-hmm. Americans um, were Tom Brokaw and Rosie O'Donnell. And so, and she was like in LA, she was doing sort of an LA shoot for the show and she turned it into this one-off bit about, you know, shitting on scope. And then it turned into this massive thing. Listerine reached out. And and then she turned it into a fundraiser. She, yeah, they so agreed to donate a thousand dollars for every kiss. Every kiss from a guest. Yeah. She'd get a thousand dollars and she would invite people into the studio, like the cast of SNL who was shooting nearby. Mm-hmm. She'd have them come in and kiss her on air yeah. for a thousand bucks. So she great. raised half a million dollars. And so it was like her leaning into that where I think a lot of other people, vain celebrity hosts, mm-hmm. would be like, no, I don't want to talk about how I'm least kissable. Yeah. But she just leaned in with every yeah. last thing. The whole, the, the Donny Osmond fat stuff. I oh mean, my God, everything the that, Osmond. that kind of, that were accidents on the show. Mm-hmm. And she even was like, Donny was nervous and he made a bad joke, but she turned it into, she used it to her advantage. Yeah. Not only to have a good joke, a running joke, a running gag on the show, which everyone loves a callback, but also to, I think in some ways, humanize her, mm-hmm. make her more relatable. Who hasn't been called fat? 
Who totally. hasn't been called ugly? Yeah, and the moment you're talking about is Donny Osmond. So he was on the show, and he seemed visibly nervous. Yeah. And she had records and dolls from her childhood she of was Donny geeky. She was fanning she was out hard. Totally fanning out. Yeah. But I don't think Donny knew that she was being serious. Yeah. I think he thought maybe she was there making fun of him or something. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem familiar with the show. And, of course, this was season one. But Donny uh, said he was doing stunts on a project. And yeah. like, I'm hanging from a helicopter. That's how I make my entrance. I hang from a helicopter. Fireworks going all over the place. 2,000 people on, on the field with me. 340 dancers in a gospel choir. It's going to be unbelievable. That's a little dangerous, Donnie. Of course, but that's what I love. I'm a dangerous kind of guy, you know. Well, that's usually what I think of Donnie. Dangerous. Sure. I'm willing to go be your stunt double for that because I don't want you to get hurt. Oh, I won't. It's, it's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And plus, the helicopter can't handle that much weight, so I have <laughs> insulted me. I mean, cringy. Ooh, cringy. It is so awkward I know. to say to the host of a show that you're a guest on, the, the number one talk show on television, he knew it was the number one talk show on yeah, television. Yeah, like, yeah. you don't make fun of the host of the number one talk show on television. Yeah. Do you think anyone ever called Oprah fat to her face? <laughs> no, I, no. I hope not. No. I hope not. I mean, Oprah uh, calls herself fat. Yeah, no, she's allowed to say whatever she wants. Yeah. So then she made it into a thing, and she made this Donny Osmond thing a bit, and she had him back on the show with Marie and yeah. put him in a dog suit and it, you can see the whole and clip even online, then but. even then he turned it into a a bit because like he was supposed to hold her or dip her and he pretended that he couldn't hold her yeah he still kept it going he still kept, kept that going. fat thing going going back to the product stuff i mean yeah. her desk even i love yeah the you know they're warner brothers cartoons mm-hmm. and the sesame street stuff yeah and every at the top of the show she would always do like a product thing where yeah. she'd be talking about oh i had this new mint today or yeah. i had this dog treat you well, know she consumed things in a way just like we, we do, do. Mm-hmm. you know like you get excited over little think my mom is big into gadgets mm-hmm. she'll never admit that she is but she loves little gadgets and phones and weird things that she can play with and apps and games it's very strange and she'll tell me casually like I don't know much about it but there's this one game dots that and she'll like go in depth about their game dots and Rosie's kind of like that and I think the average American is kind of like that totally. too you get that new toy you never stop loving toys no yeah. matter what age you are it might not be an actual toy but like an app is essentially a toy she embraced that mm-hmm. she embraced that idea of obsessing over Listerine and having the Koosh balls I mean I just oh, showed you I have, I have the Koosh slingshot the Koosh and Tickle Me Elmo yeah Tickle Me Elmo I mean she even had her own doll yeah at one point I have the doll at my apartment do you really? Yeah, I have the doll, and then I also have a push doll, like a like a plush doll too. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and she was selling these products, and Tickle Me Elmo really took off because of her. Yeah, I, yeah. Oh, Tickle was... Me Elmo was. I mean, Elmo was a new character mm-hmm. um, on Sesame Street, I think, in the mid '90s, and and she brought him on, and I think because her son Parker really loved Elmo. You all get this new Elmo doll. Look what it does. We got 200 of them, one for everyone in the audience, donated by the Tyco Preschool Toy Division, which I love, my son plays. Listen. <laughs> right? And then you, look, he shakes, he laughs. See, he's shaking. 
It's called Tickle Me Elmo. And so Elmo was brought on a bunch. And, and also it was the, the magic of having Rosie O'Donnell talk with a puppet behind. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and where else is that happening? And you would see her loving it and you'd be like, I need to have that product. I need to have yeah. that toy. My kid needs to have that toy, whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, it was just such a beautiful thing. And then, I mean, in terms of toys, she had such an accessibility for kids. She would mm-hmm. always have kids on. She would talk to them as equals. It didn't feel yeah. like she was being patronizing to these young kids. She was having a genuinely good time talking What's to kids. What's so interesting about all of that, though, is, I mean, and, you know, having, I mean, I think you can probably also relate with this, too. Whenever you're doing anything publicly, like a podcast or performing or anything, there's a presence you put on that is different from your private presence, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you you bring it for yeah. whenever you're on something. And she got labeled sort of the queen of nice, I think it was, mm-hmm. by Time Magazine. Which is so interesting now, looking back. Knowing like, her, yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll talk a little bit about this later, but, uh, you know, her image now is so different than what Which it was. I respect even more because I feel like yeah. I've grown so much as a person because she's been such a mentor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Without even knowing she's been a mentor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, I love that sound, don't you? And that's the sound you're going to hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell, online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Uh, We use it here at Everything Iconic. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling all your business complexity, no matter how big you grow. I think it's fantastic. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache, but Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate all of your products, your orders, your customers, and more uh, from every major e-commerce platform all the way to Shopify. And I always hate when I'm shopping online and I have to re-enter all of my information. Well, Shopify store remembers your shipping address, your payment information. So if you're on the couch and your wallet's on the kitchen counter, you don't have to get up, which is nice. So sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash everything iconic, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash everything iconic. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash everything iconic. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. And we all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Sometimes the small stressors are the worst for me because I cannot stop thinking about them when I'm trying to sleep or when I'm trying to go about my day. I keep those little things bottled up and it can start to affect me negatively. Now, therapy is a safe space to get those things off of my chest and figure out how to work through all that stuff. And if you've never benefited from therapy, I think it's time you explore. I think anyone can be helped by going to a professional therapist. It's so incredibly helpful to get those coping skills skills and uh, deal with those stressors. So uh, if you're thinking of starting therapy, you can give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you got to do is fill out this quick, brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, which I think is so important. uh, So that way you find someone that you work well with. Now, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Everything Iconic today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Everything Iconic. And then I love the sound effects. She would always oh do God, that. We do that on this thing. show. I always do Tommy, Can You Hear Me? And Tommy, Can You Hear Me? Yeah, and I, we like add in some other ones. But I love <laughs> it so much. It was just, she was having a good time and it came across. Everything was colorful. It was 
the sets were beautiful. Yeah. All of the it. The Tom Cruise obsession. Tom? I don't know if you've been watching the show. <laughs> I got a, got a little crush on you. <laughs> you don't mind it, do you? No. No. Does it no. scare you a little bit? <laughs> Am I like an inch away from being a stalker? Because I, I fear that I may frighten your entire family. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Nicole's all right with it. Too. Oh, she, oh, yeah. Absolutely. She knows. Absolutely. You know, it's not like I want the marriage to break up to me. I just want you to, like, live in my house and, and mow my lawn. That's all I want. I want you to do yard work around my house. The Tom Cruise obsession was great. And when she had Tom on, she just fangirled. And she always said she yeah. wanted him to mow her lawn. And then I think the last shot of the last episode was him mowing yeah. the lawn. <laughs> so just, good. I love, I, I do have friends now who they look back and they say, like, that that whole Tom Cruise obsession was really just a, a gimmick for the show. Cause she later on came out as a lesbian and all the, all of that. And I'm always like, nah, I'm obsessed with Rosie, but I don't want to sleep with her. I'm obsessed right, with Madonna, yeah. but I don't want to sleep with her. 100%. You can, your sexual identity doesn't necessarily dictate the crushes you have on celebrities. I want to talk about in season one, she did sort of come out. The Ellen episode. The Ellen episode. So yeah. in the Ellen episode, it was right before Ellen, the TV show, the TV character came out mm-hmm. on the sitcom and Rosie had Ellen on and they did this bit about being Lebanese. Lots of rumors in the press of what's going to happen this season. Yeah. Let's you... go. Let's straighten the whole thing out. Tell me, what's going to happen with Ellen Morgan? I will for you. Um, I, uh, I don't know how this leaked out either because we were really trying to build this up slowly and, and reveal it. Uh, in a way that would be, you know, just change people's opinions, basically. Yeah. Uh, we do find out that the, ca- the character is Lebanese. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And just out of the blue? She just No, it's, there have been clues. I oh, mean, really? she's, you've seen her eating baba ganoush, if you've watched the show at all. <laughs> baba ganoush. And hummus. And, uh, and big, big fan of Casey Kasem and Kathy and Jimmy's. And, uh, hey, wait a minute. I'm a big fan of Casey Kasem. Listen. You go, girl. Maybe I'm Lebanese. You could be Lebanese. I could be Lebanese myself. I didn't know yeah. that. You know, sometimes that's, that's odd because I pick up sometimes that you might be Lebanese. Yeah. Yeah. Ellen was saying, my character is coming out as Lebanese. Yeah. And Rosie's like, well, I think I'm Lebanese. And they did this whole playful bit. And if you watch it on YouTube, it is very suggestive. First of all, do you feel like that was good enough do you think she should have come out or do you think no. i i mean what's your take so i okay so <laughs> what's I, your my hot take <laughs> yeah um so the ellen thing the ellen thing was huge for me and last year ellen did like a commemorative thing about 20 years of after she came out um and i was on it <gasps> oh my god you can look on the youtubes and see, or the ellen tubes uh and oprah was there too very it was a big moment for me uh anyway I just got chills. <laughs> yeah it was a good <laughs> moment to be in like the front row and have ellen hug you ah. um uh but anyway that moment ellen's coming out was so huge for me and I've had friends talk to me about it later, questioning sort of like Rosie's intent there and why did Rosie wait so long to come out? And I've never been one to say people have to come out. You know, Rosie O'Donnell has no responsibility to anybody other than herself and her own truth. And she... Yeah, she's an influential person and her coming out would have changed a lot. But she also had a lot at stake. And would do I want to take away the inspiration and the mentorship that Rosie gave me by her not publicly talking about her personal life in that way, I would never give that away. I would never give that away. And so the whole, like the whole bit there, I thought it was cute. Mm -hmm. I definitely thought it was cute. In a lot of ways, I feel like Ellen 
was helping Rosie come out in some ways too. I mean, I think Ellen kind of pushed Rosie in a direction, in a really positive direction, and I really respect that Rosie came out not for herself, but because of an issue. Yeah. Because she came out with um, the Florida adoption law. It was the rights of gays to parent that did lead me to coming out. These two nurses in the AIDS ward at the height of the AIDS epidemic in Miami took a infant and raised this boy since he was a baby up until the age of 15. They applied to adopt him and the state of Florida wouldn't let them. So I joined the ACLU lawsuit to bring attention to the Lofton Cruteau case and that's how I ended up coming out because I felt as though the rights of gays to parent is a basic human right and civil right and states are not supposed to raise children. Humans are supposed to raise children. But she came out in that context, which is so indicative of the character of the person that we know and love, mm-hmm. you know, Rosie, and that instead of it being about her, she did it to say something, to make a message and to, and to amplify an issue, which yeah. is what she always did on everything, mm-hmm. you know, with the product she was obsessed with, with the geeking out over Barbara Streisand. She genuinely wanted a generation of children to know who Barbara Streisand was. Right. And we know who Barbara Streisand is yeah. very well and yes. Bette Midler and all these other people. Yes. And, and yeah. Slowly towards the end of the show's run, she leaned more into politics. The Tom Selleck interview. The Tom Selleck. So that happened yeah. right after Columbine. And I actually was rewatching that on YouTube last it's night. It's an uncomfortable conversation. It's such an uncomfortable. It's Tom and Rosie. And at the time, Tom was a spokesperson for the NRA. He was in the commercials. I remember after Columbine, she was very visibly upset on camera a lot. Yeah, uh, chil- young children. Young children. Yeah. And she confronted Tom and she said, do you feel any responsibility? And talking to him about these gun issues that were unfortunately still talking about now. Yeah. Right, but I think that the reason that people are so extreme against the NRA is because the NRA has such a militant strength, especially a power in Washington, to to veto or to stronghold any sensible gun law. They have been against every sensible gun law until yesterday, including trigger locks, so that children, which there are 500 a year that die, don't get killed. I'm not a spokesman for the NRA. In fact, uh, all I can tell you is uh, I was a member when I was a kid. As a junior NRA member, I learned firearm safety. And from what I see in the last three months, they don't do a lot of the stuff that that you assume they do. They aren't for trigger locks. They're for a lot of things, Mm -hmm. as long as they're they're voluntary. Um, Well, they're against the registering of guns. We have to register cars. Why shouldn't we register guns so that when a crime is committed, we can trace who has owned it? You know, I, I understand how you feel. Um, this is a really contentious issue, probably as contentious and potentially as troubling as the abortion issue in this country. Uh, all I can tell you is rush, it rushes to pass legislation at a time of national crisis or mourning. I, I don't really think are, are proper. And, and more importantly, nothing in any of this legislation would have done anything to prevent that awful tragedy in Littleton. What well, I see in the work I've done with kids is is a troubling direction in our culture and where I see consensus, which is what I think we ought to concentrate on in, 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 in our culture is, look, nobody argues anymore whether they're conservatives or liberal, whether our society is going in the wrong direction. They may argue trying to quantify how far it's gone wrong or why it's gone that far wrong, whether it's guns or television or the internet or whatever. But there's consensus saying that something's happened. Guns were much more accessible 
40 years ago, a kid could walk into a pawn shop or a hardware store and buy a high-capacity magazine weapon that could kill a lot of people, and they didn't do it. The question we ought to be asking is, look, suicide is a tragedy, and, and, and it's a horrible thing, but 30 or 40 years ago, particularly men and even young men, when they were suicidal, they went and unfortunately blew their brains out. In today's world, uh, someone who is suicidal sits home, nurses their grievance, develops a rage, and is just as suicidal, but they take 20 people with them. There's something changed in our culture. That's not a simple... But you can't say that guns don't bear a responsibility. If the no, is of the Tech 9 assault rifle, why would the NRA be against assault rifles? This is a gun that can shoot five bullets in a second. This is the gun that those boys brought into the school. Why the NRA wouldn't say is a matter of compromise? We agree. Assault rifles are not, are not good. I, I'm not... A, I can't speak for the NRA. But you are their spokesperson, Tom. So you have to be responsible for what they say. I'm not spokesperson. But if you put your name out and no, say, wait, I, Tom Selleck... Don't put words in my mouth. I'm not a spokesperson. Remember well, you're how calm that you, you said you'd be, now you're questioning my humanity. No, not your humanity. Oh. I think you're a very humane man. Okay, I'm saying well, that if you say, say... I disagree with you, but I think you're being But stupid. you can't say that I will not take responsibility for anything the NRA represents if you're saying that you're going to do an ad for the NRA. You can't really? say that. Do you think okay. you can? Look, there's, 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 you know, you're, you're carefully skirting the issue. It's an act of moral vanity. Rosie, to assume that someone who disagrees with your political agenda to solve our problems um, cares any less or is any less I never said you cared less. Well, let me Tom, I don't think you cared less, nor do I think the men in the NRA cared less. I simply the women said, too, and the women. I simply said, why can there not be a compromise on the There issues? is a compromise. What? There's a compromise in enforcing laws. There's a compromise in not allowing kids with guns in school. There's a, the, the problem is... And what you don't seem to realize, you seem to have some sort of... Look, we all hang out with people we agree with. And you have a very one-sided view of the fact. What, what you don't understand as is the, laws that As does the NRA. And the people you hang out with in the NRA have a one-sided view as well. I hang out with people in the NRA. Okay, well, you're saying I hang out with people with my views. I'm just said saying... You can, I said people can We all tend out. to. The NRA does and the on NRA does. You know, this is a nice one-sided conversation, but you keep interrupting me. Remember how civil you said we were going to be? I let you talk for four minutes without saying one thing. Okay. I did. I didn't say one thing. I simply asked a question about the, 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 what their philosophies are. And you don't, you don't want to... I told you... Uh, would you, when, when do you want to get to television and violence? And I agree. Game shows. I agree. Game okay. shows. And how do you reconcile? What, you mean video look, games? Let, I agree. Let, please let me finish. Let, 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 let me just say one thing. What you're really talking about, and what I'm at least what I'm talking about, is are we a responsible enough society in terms of television, in terms of guns, in terms of everything else, to be this free? That should frame the debate. My answer, unfortunately in this culture is probably not but i'm going to go down with the civil liberties ship in all the bill of rights and apply them equally that's where i that's the way i feel you can ask me specific questions about anything but it's simply stupid political rhetoric well it's not stupid political rhetoric but he also has freedom of speech but you're not allowed to scream fire in a crowded movie theater because it threatens the safety of other people assault weapons threaten the safety of other people there's no reason, in my opinion, to have them. You want to have a hunting rifle? Great. You want to have a handgun? Do you really think the Second Amendment is in the Constitution to guarantee hunting and target shooting? Do you really think that's what the final I think the Second is Amendment is in the Constitution so that we can have muskets when uh, the British people come over in 1800. I don't think it's in the Constitution to have assault weapons in the year 2000. But I'm wrong. 
I guess. I mean, you know, I mean, this, this is the problem. Here's what happens. The people with opposing views, there is no compromise because you feel attacked, I feel attacked. You feel misunderstood. I haven't attacked you. Well, I think that in, in a different... I disagree with you. And I've disagreed with you as well. But mine comes in the form of attacking because... I, I, I haven't mentioned assault weapons once. I haven't mentioned a lot of things once. I, I, I just, the nature of this debate, is it, I didn't come on your show to, to have a debate. I came on your show to plug a movie. That's, that's what I'm doing here. And that's if what we did. If you think it's proper to have a debate about the NRA, I'm trying to be fair with you. And but I am trying to. Absurd. You're calling me a spokesman for the NRA. Tom, if you're a celebrity and you're doing an ad that says I, you, I am the NRA, then what should have been have the Have you read the ads? I have read the ads. Good. Did you read the ads? I, I said them. I read what I said. Okay. Well, I do too. And, uh, you know, this is not supposed to be a personal affront, and it's not. I don't say that Well, it's that certainly you... very entertaining. Look at the audience. They're just <laughs> laughing and having a great old Well, it's a serious subject. I don't think it's a lot to laugh about. No, it's, it's fine. All right. Well, this is not gone the way that I had hoped that it had gone. But uh, I would like to thank you for appearing anyway, knowing that we do have differing views. I was happy that you decided to come on the show. And if you feel insulted by my questions, I apologize because it was not a personal attack. I was meant to bring up the subject as it is in the consciousness of so many today. That was my intent. And if it was wrong, I apologize to you on a personal level. It's, it's your show, and you can talk about it after I leave, too. Well, I thought I would give you an opportunity to discuss the, your side of it, which is what I hoped that I did. And if, I, if it was wrong, I'm sorry for that. All right. Obviously, it didn't do much good. But The Love Letter is a, a great movie with Kate Capshaw, Tom yeah. and Ellen DeGeneres. That is thank the reason you're here, and I thank you for coming to talk about it. Uh, it opens on Friday. Tom Selleck, we'll be right back with Jake Lloyd. And looking back on it, I remember at the time her getting a lot of flack for that. So much flack for it. And looking back at it now, it's still a conversation we're having. And she was, she was at the forefront of that. Oh, conversation. and she's like that with so many, so things. many things. I yeah. mean, look at the Donald Trump, the gun stuff too. That was sort of her first real foray into being a little her bit more confronting. Tom Selleck was so indicative of. I think where mothers were at the time, you know, and parents in general, but the role of a mom and, and that maternal figure in television. I mean, right. there's a reason why women do so well as talk show hosts is because everybody is obsessively needing that maternal figure. And, yeah. and Rosie had kind of given that best friend maternal figure for a while there. And all of a sudden we had this national tragedy that we had never experienced before. I mean, we had in small doses, but never to that level. Like that. And here was the voice of sort of happy-go-lucky America who had a moment that she could use her influence, her mm -hmm. happy influence over something to confront somebody that nobody else probably would have ever confronted. Totally. You know, to hold someone accountable for you are associated with this organization that is promoting the use of, of assault weapons in this country that have been used to kill now you know, hundreds of kids in, in that situation. And, and she confronted Tom Selleck about it, which I thought was so awesome. And I thought she did it in a very respectful way. If you watch it back now, I think you get a different perspective than what she was painted out to be doing. Yeah. But I'm always just so fascinated because this, the switch happened around that time in terms of like the public perception of her, mm -hmm. because here she was the queen of nice. 
And then, you know, years go by from the talk show and she rejoins the magazine. She had the magazine. Right. Right. And she, there was like a head shaving moment too, which I remember was being painted as big change. It was right after the talk show. And she writes in her book about how that was a particularly dark period Mm -hmm. um, for her and her, she had a hand infection and staff infection infection and like things got really sort of dark for her and she was being sued and it was there was that whole moment those years right before the view that towards the end of the Rosie O'Donnell show and before she went on the view that were kind of dark right. and and it was, and I love how open she is talking about yeah. her mental illness oh my god and yeah. yeah she's one of the most vocal people especially at that time where she mm-hmm. would talk very openly about her depression her treatments for depression yeah and going into the view she would talk about that a lot too yeah when, I got addicted when Rosie, like I oh, got me like, too. hardcore addicted when she first, her first tenure on The View, I got obsessed. I was living in you and every day while I was at work, I would VHS tape. This is like mid aughts, I guess, yeah. VHS tape. For me, I had loved The Rosie O'Donnell Show. Then obviously, I, I, I not that she fell off my radar, but... She just wasn't in my you know, yeah. worldview at that time. And then she came on The View, and then I became obsessed with her again. As an adult. As an adult, and it was a totally different person exactly. where I thought, I'm obsessed with this person again, but they're mm-hmm. totally different than and the I one think I knew. there's something, Ellie and I have talked about this, and I think we're all kind of around the same age, that... I'm wrote, 18. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit older. Um, but, like, I'm, I'm 35. And Rosie, for people of our generation, has played that role of she was mm. a significant player mm-hmm. in our childhood and are, are forming as, as, especially queer people, who are forming as teenagers. And then there was that break there where we didn't hear from her for a while. And then all of a sudden, she's this outspoken political view co-host, you know, b- prolific blogger, like she's getting into her iconic poems. On her, her iconic <laughs> poems, which I, when, I, when RSS feeds were a thing, I yeah, subscribed yeah. on my Google reader. check Rosie.com all the time. Me for those too. Poems. And she would do the like Q&As. When I I left AIDS Walk in the office here in Los Angeles a couple years ago, like 2010. I remember I left and I looked at my browser history and like most visits websites and it was Huffington Post, <laughs> Gmail, Rosie. Like it was those three sites. I would check Rosie all the time at work. Um, I was obsessed. And, and, and she shaped our my political identity. I remember hearing Rosie talk about politics and I agreed with everything she was saying for the most part, except for some, some things. Mm -hmm. And, and I just remember thinking how awesome it was that I was forming my identity and my mentor's identity was similar to mine. And Mm -hmm. I felt individualistic in my own self. Like I felt confident Mm -hmm. in my own self and my own identity. But at the same time, I also was looking to her for guidance and for direction. It was a very strange moment in my young adulthood, figuring that out. And now I'm really grateful for it, looking back I mean, at everything that she correctly called out. Right. And it's interesting, all those things that she did correctly call out, the media focus of all that, and she was very blunt about it. Yeah. She was saying, you know, everyone says it's big, fat, lesbian, rosy. Yeah. I think she even says that on the the fight with Elizabeth. Please, let's have a conversation. in the media. Rosie, big, fat, lesbian, loud Rosie, attacks innocent, pure Christian Elizabeth. And I'm not doing it for the rest of the day. And it was like she knew how she was being perceived, but still persisted in that lane and never mm-hmm. stopped, even though people got tired of that version of her. And the fact that she even said that, mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, 2006. A woman on television, one of the most visible figures, entertainment 
talk show figures in the world, mm-hmm. Rosie O'Donnell, is openly saying big, fat, lesbian Rosie O'Donnell. Stereotype is what you're putting me in. And there, nobody not only was acknowledging that about the queer representation on television, but also that how oftentimes gay people and her specifically is being pushed into a, a stereotype to into mm-hmm. a corner and she's acknowledging it and she's calling it out and she's saying we're not going to stand for this and I think in many ways if you look at the trajectory of where history has gone from from that moment and from her presence on television to the gay rights movement and if you look at the, those two things there's a lot of similarities there and there's a lot of advancements that happened directly around moments around Rosie O'Donnell's career. And I think there's got to be a part in it. She's played a part. She's one of the most visible queer people Mm -hmm. in the United States. She was from 1996 until now. I mean, more so until like the late aughts because she's kind of taken a back seat these past few years. Rightfully so. She deserves it. But she's, her and Ellen, I can't think of another person that's that visible from the mid-90s into the aughts. So do you think Ellen is her spiritual successor from the Rosie O'Donnell show? Discarding I think Ellen the is her stuff. safe successor. Yeah. Ellen is a safe lesbian for people to like. And I love Ellen. Yeah. I, I think yeah, Ellen no is amazing. Ellen. Yeah. I, and, and I think there's nothing wrong with being safe. Ellen is doing her thing and she's making her bucks and she's providing and great entertainment. by the way, you mentioned Rosie being vulnerable and kind of America's mother. And I think Ellen's best moments are when she does mm-hmm. let that come through. I agree completely. And when she confronts people too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's very, very rare for and Ellen to And I don't think you need to be political. No. You don't need to be vulnerable. No. You, no, not everything has to be a cry fest and a political statement. Yeah. I completely agree with that. There's a, there's a need for fun popular culture and for entertainment and both I think Ellen and Rosie give that but I think the difference between the two is that Ellen is a superstar and she wants to be seen as a superstar and she wants that safe sort of space to entertain and perform and take people away from their troubles whereas Rosie wants to take people away from their troubles I think but she also wants to give some nuance to life Mm. in a way and she wants to be relatable and say we're all the same and we all have our problems and some of us are annoying and some of us are loud and some of us are sweet and, and she's all of those things and you can be all of those things. And for me in my career, like I love that I don't necessarily have to just be a stand-up comic. I love that in watching Rosie's career, I've been able to know that, oh, well, I can be a writer and I can be a journalist and I can be a stand-up comic, but I can be a personality and I can and talk be interested and in politics and you yeah, can, yeah, I can do all of those things without having to feel like, well, I can't say those things because I'm this, mm-hmm. you know, or I'm a comic, so I shouldn't be vulnerable and talking about being sad sometimes, right. you know? Right. And and Rosie really, I mean, she gave me that, and I hope she's, she's I think she's given a lot of people that. Yeah. The biggest thing I take with this show that I'm doing is to lean into that vulnerability, and mm-hmm. I take all of that from Rosie. Yeah. I mean, and every I think, last bit. I mean, like the podcast that we met on, You're Making mm-hmm. It Worse, like... We're also trying to do that for right. queer community, at least, is giving some nuance to sort of queer identity in a different kind of way. And saying representing you don't, a different point of view, exactly, mm-hmm. and and saying that there's a safe space for a different point of view. We don't all have to go into one direction. And Rosie's probably the best example of that. Do you think Rosie right now? I'm not saying she wants to do this or would do this, but do you think she could reboot it? Or what would like it look, the Rosie O'Donnell what would it, show? What would it look like if she was doing the Rosie O'Donnell show today? Yeah, the thing is, is like, I want Rosie back in my life. Me too, all the time, and I love her on Smelf. Like, oh, so great! Is yeah, that yeah. how you Smelf. say it? Smelf? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I've seen like four episodes, and I think she's yeah. amazing on it. And it's great to see her acting. Oh, I, I know, too, yeah. it's so great. But I also, 
I do want Rosie back. It's in most terms on of Showtime too, by the way. Just is it Showtime? It's Showtime. Yeah, because yeah. um, people don't know. I I want her back in a talk show format. I just like I don't know how that can be. How I it looks. I don't know how it looks. I mean, maybe an Andy Cohen type. Did sort you of... watch her own show? Oh yeah. The own show was on. It was like this big stage, mm-hmm. and it was really. It really. They tried to really over- recreate. It was too Rosie. overwhelming. Yeah. And then at the very end, they switched to where it was a more Larry King talk exactly. show format. And I loved And it that. was fantastic. Yeah. And unfortunately, it was kind of too little too late. Well, and I think own it was too little too late, I agree. But I also think that wasn't so much Rosie's fault as much as it was own finding its own mm-hmm. identity. Rosie didn't fit with it. Didn't fit with mm-hmm. it. And I would love for Rosie. There was an interview that Rosie did. I don't know, a few months ago, I guess, with Andy Cohen, maybe a while ago. And watch what point. happens. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure I've and, seen it. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, I've seen and it's a great YouTube yeah. clip. And having her, I mean, Andy Cohen show is very high octave, and I think Rosie would really benefit from like a half hour, hour, half hour chat show with like celebrities and that yeah. sort of Andy Cohen style where she can talk about politics, she can talk with celebrities. Whatever she wants. Whatever yeah. she wants. Whatever she wants. And she'd be great on a podcast, too. I'd love oh to just God. be able to download her and hear her. I think in my she ears. did. Didn't she have a serious show or something? I yeah, think she, she might have. She did for a short time, and it was like out of She's her home. Great on uh, on Howard. Too. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. And her and Howard used to hate each other, mm-hmm. and now they have a great relationship. And now they're great, great. together, yeah. which I think is such a wonderful thing to listen to. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I want to know: Did the politics? Did the View tenure tarnish the Rosie O'Donnell show? No, not at all. I think it. I think the Rosie O'Donnell show was very much so its own thing. And in a lot of ways, I think, even though she was being herself, she was performing. I mean, it was a version of herself that she was presenting to the to the to to America. And I think Americans saw that. I think Americans see that part of Rosie as sort of the entertainer part mm. and the view part as sort of the real Rosie, the Rosie who is honest and political and out there and confrontational and and very much, you know, Direct in what she has to say. I don't think it tarnishes it at all. I mean, yeah, I, but then again, identities. I'm biased. Like, yeah. I love Rosie. I'm a liberal. So, if I agree with her politics, it doesn't tarnish it for me. Whereas, if I was a conservative Republican, yeah, I change. probably would have been like, why'd you change? And she probably did that. I mean, I don't, I would love to hear that from Rosie, that sort of shift in, because daytime television is not necessarily a liberal audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not necessarily a conservative audience yeah. either. It reaches many different types of people. Yeah. And even people who voted for Trump watch and like Ellen. Mm-hmm. And, and so I wonder if Rosie's audience, what they think. Yeah sort of in the shift and if Rosie has seen any backlash yeah. especially in those years between the Rosie O'Donnell show and going to The View and when she became outspoken politically on The View what kind of reaction she got from her fan base yeah I'd love to know how it shifted yeah. for them you know you mentioned the entertainment side of her and I also love how outspoken she's been about fame mm-hmm. and what fame does to a person yeah. and I think she's one of the very few people I, she wrote a book on it yeah and one of the very few people who is honest and open about when you get famous, talking about how that affects the brain and how that affects yeah. relationships around you. Yeah. And no one is, no one, I think Russell Brand also wrote a book about fame. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I think but there's very few people that are, yeah. are able to talk openly because, you know, you're worried people are going to find Yeah, I mean, you worry that either you're not respectful or that you're not grateful for the success you've had. Or, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of people who do that run that risk. But I think Rosie, Rosie has done, Something and I think her focus on children has maybe helped humanize her a lot more because children are the one thing that Republican or Democrat, conservative right. or, or whatever, like everyone you mostly can see likes her the connecting kid. in a very 
natural way with kids. Yeah. Undeniable. Hello. How are you, Heaven? Good. How old are you? I'm seven. Seven? Are you married? No. No. I didn't think so. Um, you want What do you want to be when you grow up? Dentist. A dentist? You like going to the dentist? Uh-huh. Even when he makes that noise, you don't get scared? Yeah. She's and good it's fun kids. to watch, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, uh, and she's such a sweet mom, you know, she's, and so that connection, I think, humanizes her in a way that allows sort of everyone to kind of like her. That said, I don't know, it's an interesting question. Do you have a favorite moment from the show? Or from the Rosie O'Donnell show? Or, or, or a thing that sticks out as your favorite thing of the Rosie O'Donnell show? Yeah. A moment or a I, I mean, product. the episode that I remember the most is when Madonna came on. Mm. Because, there, I, like I said, I was obsessed with Madonna, and there was a period there where Madonna had gone from filming Evita and, um, and the premiere for that. And she had just given birth and her boobs were huge. <laughs> and it was like a whole thing. Have a taste of your own medicine. It was me on star search in 1984. Nice hair. I know. What was you I look like a Bay city roller. I did. I like a Bay city roller. Like David Cassidy phase. I was Actually, still in there. No, you know what? You kind of look like Donny Osmond. Oh. shooting a Vita, but he called me chubby on my own show. Really? For no reason. We'll fix his wagon. We sure will. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, the whole episode was essentially Rosie, or was Rosie and Madonna. Yeah, I mean, I love all, all the celebrity moments, and uh, we had mentioned Tom Cruise. I love when she would do a countdown for Oh, my Tom. God. It's like, no one else, you, you can now, I can never see Ellen doing a countdown to a guest, yeah. any guest coming. Yeah. It was like, Rosie was just so genuinely excited. I mean, Rosie, or Ellen kind of did that with Oprah. When mm. Oprah, when she was on, she was the first person on Oprah Magazine's cover. But see, to me, that feels, with Ellen, it almost feels like something the producers were like, let's do yes, this. exactly. Whereas Rosie was like, I love Tom Cruise, so we're going to do it for Tom. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, and producers are probably like, okay. Yeah. Or Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, whoever, and when she had Barbara on, she'd had the stage full of flowers. All right, to every boy and girl watching out there, dreams do come true. Please welcome, I knew I would do this, Barbara Streisand. He was like, well, Mary Tyler Moore wasn't promoting anything. She just wanted to talk to Mary Tyler Moore. Right. And it wasn't like you need, and that was the great thing about that is that like, it was very much like a Mike Douglas, Merv Griffin moment in that she just wanted to talk to the mm-hmm. celebrity. They didn't need to be doing anything. Totally. And that doesn't really exist anymore. If she liked him, she would have him on. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I had talked to Bonnie about the Rosie O'Donnell show. Mm-hmm. Wasn't she, she was going to be, she was in contention to be like a host possibly? After um, Rosie Caroline went Ray. off, it was Caroline Ray. Yeah. And then that show, I think, only lasted like two seasons. Which is unfortunate. But then Bonnie had her own talk show for yeah. a few seasons. But she said... Rosie was a little more dangerous 
Um, because that mm-hmm. sincerity of she was going to be in the moment, and if she didn't like you, you're going to kind of know it. <gasps> really? You know, so I think that always adds a little element of the, yeah. that authentic danger of, uh-oh, yeah. she, let's see if she likes this person. She like Bonnie? Yeah, I she mean, like, who doesn't like Bonnie? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Okay, you guys, thank you so much, H. Allen Scott. Thank you so much Where for having me. Where can people find you on social media? H. Allen Scott on everything. Don't send me nudes. <laughs> send me the nudes. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much. Thank I you for doing you. this. Gosh, I feel like I could talk about the Rosie O'Donnell show forever. Unfortunately, we have to wrap things up. I want to lead us out with a clip of her talking about my queen, Mariah Carey, on the Rosie O'Donnell show. You know what's here today? Mariah Carey. <laughs> support this podcast and get the after show with h allen scott please head on over to patreon.com slash everything iconic if you like this show please rate and review it on itunes i love you so much for listening (laughs) talk to you guys soon love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now Cozy offers beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.